Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, we are honored, nay, blessed, to be joined today by the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? Well, John, uh, you know, to come here and bless all of you is a it's an enormous privilege, and I'm happy to be able to do it today. And uh, we're happy that you're doing it today as well. And guys, it is awesome to have all of you here today. Thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your day to spend with us here as we talk about all of our favorite things. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it into two parts as usual. The first half of the show, we're going to talk about some pre-lined up topics. And then the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. But... Let's do those main topics first here, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? It's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe... Just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, our first main topic come to us comes to us from William Scott Lambert. Hello, John. I've been watching you since the seventh grade, and I'm about oh, wow. to graduate college. Well, that's a long time. It's been a fantastic journey following you. The trailer for the Dexter revival just dropped, and it got me hoping that we are going to get a satisfying finale with this character. What were your thoughts about it? Well, John, I, I'll tell you my thoughts. I watched, first of all, I didn't like the last season of Dexter, and I was a big fan of the show. I mean, that season with John Lithgow was great. It's a really... I mean, come on, who doesn't love serial killers or people that get rid of serial killers? Uh, I was a huge fan of that show. I really liked it. I thought the final season underserved the character. But watching this trailer, I'm like, okay, this looks promising. Uh, so Variety says, uh, it's come up in different forms, Hall said, of revivals during the show's Comic-Con at Home panel yesterday. I didn't know they did that. I will have to go watch it. It never felt quite right in terms of the story that was presented or in terms of the timing. But I think along with everybody on this panel and along with anybody who's ever watched the show and is a fan of the show, I myself have also wondered, what the hell happened to this guy? And I think enough, enough time has passed and the storytelling opportunities were a lot more interesting for having more time between the end and now. Uh, Look, it looked like the show's firing, at least, I mean, John, it's a trailer. It's, it's supposed to look good. But from my perspective, it looked really, really interesting. And I'm so there for it. I can't wait to see this, actually. I was, when I watched the trailer, I'm like, I miss this guy. I miss this <laughs> character. What about you? Yeah, look, for me, I, first of all, I'm a little bit different than you. I did like the final season but not the final episode. <laughs> like the, the yeah. final episode, it's like I was with it. it. It was a little bit of a step down from the rest of the series, I admit, but it wasn't until the final episode that I always went, eh. like I, I didn't yeah. mind. I, what I did not mind in principle was the idea that he survives 
and he ends up exiling himself to some lumberjack life. In principle, I don't mind that. If you had told me at the beginning of the final season that that's where it was going to end, I would have gone, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just, you know, the death of Deb and all that. There's just so much about the last episode that just really didn't click with me. Didn't and to it. hear, when we got really excited when we heard it was coming back. I watched this trailer, and Rob, you and I were talking before the show started today, and I, I swear, it's like the show never went off the air. I, know. I felt like I, I was watching this trailer, and it was just, this feels like home. This feels like Dexter. And and sometimes you get some of this revival stuff, and it's like they completely change the DNA of it, and they make it, they try to update it, and all this kind of stuff. And th that's not necessarily a bad thing either. But with this, I just felt immediately right at home. The moment you start hearing Michael C. Hall's, um, his narration about the character and getting our first look at Clancy Brown, it just gave me kind of shivers. I really like that. And even just something as simple as that one little visual of blood being on the snow and then him trying to cover up the blood with the shovel, just everything about it felt right to me. And so I'm excited. And like you said, Rob, it is, it's a trailer. It's a trailer. Right. It's supposed to look great, but you know, all things considered, it feels right. I felt like the show never left. And I love hearing the showrunners because they also talked about how that the dissatisfaction with the fans at the finale of Dexter, whether it's the entire last season or just the last episode or just how it ended or whatever, that that was part of their motivation for always wanting to come back and give him another send off. And I like that they're doing that. I thought the trailer was great. So yeah, it completely worked for me. The question is for you guys. What did you think? About the Dexter trailer, maybe you've never seen Dexter before and this is all new to you and you don't know what the big deal is. Maybe you watched all of Dexter and you're pumped or you're not. What are you guys feeling about this? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Jonathan Lund, who writes... Hey, John and Rob, I hope you both had a great weekend. Snake Eyes opened at the box office this weekend with a disappointing $13.3 second place to old. This is an embarrassing start for Snake Eyes, which cost $88 million to produce and based on a well-known property. Do you think this was down? Uh, this is down to the unfavorable reviews Snake Eyes received or that moviegoers are now more selective on what they leave the house to go see? Where do you think this leaves G.I. Joe franchise moving forward? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, you guys know if you saw my out of the theater review or if you saw the John Campia show yesterday, I'm not a fan of Snake Eyes. At least I'm not right now. I mean, I was very excited for this movie. Uh, I went in to go see it. I was pumped for it. I love the trailers. Uh, Andrew Koji is great. I think, you know, you've heard me say before that I think Henry Golding is a bona fide movie star. This is a good place to start. If you're trying to relaunch G.I. Joe, why not relaunch it with Snake Eyes? And I know a lot of the G.I. Joe Puritans were like, Snake Eyes shouldn't talk. And I respect that if you felt that way. But I kind of like the idea that we were going to see him as a man and see what he was like as a regular human being, you know, with almost supernatural skills, of course. And the movie for me, we don't have to go into it all again. The movie for me was very disappointing. Now, going into this movie, there were some people, I mean, we had these discussions on the show. There were some people who believed 
that Snake Eyes was going to be the first billion dollar film to which we all kind of said, well, come on, that's kind of ridiculous. A lot of people thought it, it could, you know, be the first film to make a hundred million dollars opening weekend. And while possible, I suppose, you never know how the audience is going to react. I mean, I didn't really think that was possible. A lot of you guys didn't really think that was possible. But even after seeing the movie, I would not have guessed $13.3 million. I wouldn't have guessed that. So the question is, making $13.3 million and coming in second, Rob, to M. Night Shamhammer with his movie Old, (laughs) coming in second place to Old, that's not a good look. So why? Why did this happen? Why did this movie only make $13.3 million in its opening weekend? Well, there's a couple of factors. Number one, obviously, the the theaters are still in recovery mode. And not only are the theaters... That's why a Fast and the Furious movie didn't open to $100 million. That's why uh, an MCU movie didn't open to $100 million. But we knew they were still great openings because Fast 9 made $70 million, which is great for pandemic recovery mode. Black Widow exceeded that, making eighty, which we know is great for for you coming in recovery mode. But on top of that, it's not just that we are in recovery mode. We got the damn, you know, that damn variant now exploding, and and almost half of Americans still have not gotten vaccinated. I mean, fifty. I think the numbers at fifty six percent now are vaccinated, which is great, but like forty four percent still aren't. So we've got this variant going around, so that hurt it as well. So that's one reason. The reviews, obviously another reason. The word got out. The word gets out faster now than ever if a movie's really not very good. So that certainly has a part to do with it as well. But what the part that I think people are overlooking, and quite frankly, Rob, I think I overlooked as well, is this. The reality is G.I. Joe is not that big of a franchise anymore. It's just not that big of a name. It's not as fondly remembered for most people. For some it is, but for most people, it's not as fondly fondly remembered as, say, a Transformers, which came out of the same era. Even if you go back to the previous two G.I. Joe films, which weren't great movies, but even they only topped out at around $300 million, I think, Rob. I mean, I, I think that's the ballpark at any rate. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's the ballpark. So you've got that. And on top of that, it's been years since those movies. And a lot of people still remember those movies as not being very good. So, I mean, Rob, when you look at it, recovery of the theater still ongoing, a variant that's going around, the fact that it's very poorly received and and poorly reviewed, the fact that it's a property that isn't as popular anyway as some people seem to think it is, on top of the fact that it's still trying to get over a hump of the fact that the last couple of movies they put out weren't all that great. I mean, so it's a lot of things mixed into one that uh, as to why it didn't happen. So I don't know, Rob, you look at this result of Snake Eyes. What do you identify as the, I mean, I, I again, I never would have thought that it would have come in second place to old. I would have thought it would have beat old, not, maybe not by a ton, but I thought it would have beat old. What do you attribute this $13.3 million opening to? I think the movie just wasn't that good. I mean, I haven't seen it, but you you talked to me about it and other people have talked about it and i think that you know the one thing that i was really looking forward to uh with this movie because i've always said john that nothing uh, uh nothing can be made i mean everything can be made better with a 25 percent application of ninjas <laughs> and uh, i was really looking forward to this and you and other people said the action just wasn't that good 
And this movie had to do one thing well, which was give us great action sequences. And if it did, I mean, if it provided, say, John, a John Wick uh, blast of action uh, mayhem, I think that people would have gone. But the fact that, look, it, it apparently it didn't satisfy the G.I. Joe fans. But like you said, maybe maybe the G.I. Joe uh, franchise, it's just old. You know, we don't mm. we don't have there. The, are there even G.I. Joe toys being made anymore? I don't know. I don't hear about them. Um, it's just old. And if the movie doesn't provide great action, well, what else do you have? So you've got a franchise that might be just played out, uh, belongs to a different generation. And it's an action movie that didn't give good action. And that's not good. No. <laughs> I mean, there, there's there there. I think that it's, it's as simple as that. It's a movie that didn't deliver what we all wanted it to deliver. Yeah, and that's why I think it's a combo. I mean, number, I mean, I mean, because obviously we know a lot of times opening weekend isn't often a reflection. Opening weekend box office is not often a reflection on the quality of the movie because you know people hadn't seen it yet for that word to get out. But it, it's definitely a contributing factor. And I, I think you're right. I think it's just the fact that we have overestimated what the popularity of the brand is even more. I, I just I think we have all overestimated it and it's just not that popular of a brand. So I don't know. Question is for you guys. You see that b- besides the fact that it came in second, it made 13.3 million. We've got Fast 9 making 70, Black Widow making 80. I mean, we don't expect it to make those numbers, but at least closer. What do you guys think is the one, two or three main culprits behind this weekend's box office results for Snake Eyes? Jump on down to the comments section below. And let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. Rob, what is our mm. third main topic today? Well, our third topic comes for, comes to us from the one and only. Hello, John and friends. Collider has reported that Michael B. Jordan's production company, Outlier Society, are developing their own black Superman project aside from J.J. Abrams' Black Superman movie, Jordan's project is being written as a limited series for HBO Max, centering on the Val Zod storyline being produced and possibly starring Jordan himself. This seems to be a more logical approach for a Black Superman live-action project. What are your thoughts? Well, John, I've loved Michael B. since Friday Night Lights. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan of his, and I... Uh, I've often said that I think the Val Zod storyline would be definitely something that would be worth adapting. And it's exciting to hear this. And I think having him play that part, obviously his physicality is such, I think he'd make a great Superman. Uh, He looked fantastic. And movie web says Michael B. Jordan is reportedly developing a Superman project for HBO max separate from the movie reboot. That's already in the works at Warner brothers collider reports that Jordan and his production company outlier society are working with the streamer on a new project centering on the Val Zod incarnation of Superman. What I also like about this, John is it's, it's within the DC continuity. They they've got the comic books to, to look at fall back on use as source material. And I think that uh, the characters, uh, a rich character that, that could do with some exploration. I mean, hell, uh, I want a hot toy of that figure. And uh, I think it'd be great to get. And I can't wait. This 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 actually excites me. I, I, I'm a little bit... First of all, the Val Zod storyline is interesting. So it's it imagines, you know, a slightly different history where not only Jor-El 
or sorry, I say Kal-El and, and Kara get off Krypton, but Valzad right. also got off Krypton. You know, uh, after, he's the last of his house and he was sent by Jor-El as well, sent off. But then like, if I remember correctly, like Superman falls under the influence of Darkseid. He becomes the leader of the Parademons and this Superman has to stand up to that Kal-El. I, I mean, I, 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 it's been a long time since I've read up on the history of the Valzad story. You probably know it better than I do. No, I listen, I, I feel the same way that I felt about it, you know, back when the original rumors started coming out. It's like, OK, that's cool. And by the way, it's it's not clear about whether Michael B. Jordan would actually perform in it because he at one point said he wasn't going to do uh, Superman on screen, uh, like act in it. So he may very well just be producing it. But maybe he does star in it himself. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. So I'm all for it. I take take an iteration of this, give it a shot, see what happens. If it's good, it's fabulous. It's good. If it's not good, oh well, we we forget about it and we move on to something else. So I have no problem with trying it. Here's my one concern. Okay, this is my one concern. Is that there was a time, Rob, not long ago, when Warner Brothers treated particularly the holy trinity of batman superman and wonder woman as really important precious cargo and they were very protective of these iteration these superheroes of theirs because they knew they were incredibly valuable and there used to be under an older regime a rule that said like you can't have superman on tv and you can't have Batman on TV or or things like that. And they were very, very protective of these characters because they were their most valuable IP. By the way, our friend RJD sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, RJ. Appreciate that, dude. Um, but now it's different. Now Warner Brothers' philosophy seems to be, yeah, Superman is just another commodity. It's just another commodity. And so let's have a TV show going and let's have a J.J. Abrams version going and let's have a Michael B. Jordan version going. And by the way, you heard that, you know, Tom Welling and, and Michael Rosenbaum, they're working on a Smallville animated thing to come back. So that's a fourth project. Plus, plus, I still believe I, I'm not no scoop here. I'm just saying I still believe that there is a very real possibility we see Henry Cavill as Superman again. Again, that's not me breaking the scoop. That's just me saying everything I look at, I believe there is a possibility we still see Henry Cavill as Superman again. That would be no less than five iterations of Superman going at the same time. Is the same thing used to be about with uh, same thing about Batman. I mean, Batman, and by the way, Kevin uh, Kevin Cow sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Kevin, with a little uh, Superman logo in that. Um, Batman used to be the same thing, but then they started to sneak in Batman into television. And now we've got like a movie coming out with multiple Batman. Although granted with Flash, there's a built-in narrative reason for that. So that's fine. But we're now going to have a Batman in the DCU and a Batman in the in the Matt Reeves version. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm super looking forward to Matt Reeves' Batman. I am. I'm very excited about it. But but still, it's, it's a shift in philosophy that we've seen happen over the last couple of years from a let's be very protective of these IPs to let's just throw them out there and just commoditize them as much as anything else. And Rob, my one worry about that 
is that the more you flood the market with something, the less valuable that thing becomes. You know, uh, one of my guilty pleasures is popping on YouTube and watching some um, Pawn Stars clips. And, and it's one of the things they mention all the time. Yeah, this thing's old, but there's a million of them out there. So that lowers the value. I, I mean, and that's the more you throw something out, the less valuable it becomes. And that's the only thing. So I have, I love the idea of Michael B. Jordan trying this. I love the idea of what J.J. Abrams is going to be trying to do. I, you know, appreciate what they've done with Superman and Lois. I keep my fingers crossed that we see my favorite Superman of all time, Henry Cavill, back again. But at the same time, under all that is a little bit of worry I have that they're over-commoditizing that. I don't know. Do you think that's a legitimate thing to be worried about? Or or would you have something to say to calm my nerves about that? What do you think? No, I I think you're making a really good point. And, and I think that, you know, getting too much of something, even if it's a good thing, is it can be a bad thing. And uh, I, I look, I, I've always believed that great stories will endure, that people will find them. You, you can never have too many great stories, but they have to be great. You know, if they're not, you wind up with snake eyes. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it, I, and I think that that it, that is a very real uh, concern. And if we're getting too much stuff, which, I mean, who's to say we've been getting, we're getting a lot of like, especially like even the MCU, I never thought we would be getting four five, six TV series in four movies in a year. And how is that all going to play out? Hmm. I mean, we, we don't know. And, and are, are we going to hit superhero fatigue at some point? I mean, I, I, if this, if the, if the stories are good, and the movies are good and the shows are good. Maybe not. But still, at some point, people are going to get sick of these stories, aren't they? Or maybe not. But I do think that, look, I've always believed that good stories will win out. But at some point, like, even even the Western genre died. Mm. And uh, it used to be the greatest genre. Everybody loved Westerns. And then one day, nope, they fell from favor. So, I, you know, look, as long as the stories are good, John. Great characters, great stories. That's all I care about. But at some point, some point, someone's going to get tired <laughs> of these. Yeah, I, I somebody wrote in a question about a week or two ago asking like, hey, man, there's been a lot of different iteration stories of Superman going bad. Like you see right. that in, in not direct Superman references, but you see that in The Boys, you know, a Superman who's gone bad. We see it in Invincible with Omni-Man. We see it in Injustice Gods Among Us. We got glimpses of it in, in one or two of the movies. I mean, but also just the idea of like how many iterations can you have of the same character going on at the same time? And it's, again, I don't think it's automatic doom. I don't. I just think it's risky. That's all. I, I just think there's a risk there and they're going to have to really do something really well with it to, to, to overcome that because man, this is, it's a lot. But anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you feel about this story about Michael B. Jordan producing another version of Superman that's going to be coming out? Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Whatever you guys are thinking about it, jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're going to move on now and start taking your live questions. And how do we select 
you know, which questions to take. Well, it's easy. All you got to do, if you want to send in a live comment to be read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, just go down into the com or into, not into the comments, into the description of this video, and you'll see a tip link. Just go ahead and click on that there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show or an upcoming companion video if, of course, it's appropriate for the show. Sometimes they're not. And, of course, at the same time, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us here involved with the john campus show thank you guys so much for your support okay let's get on and start seeing what you guys have to talk about next up we got nosferatu writes one of our frustrations with one of our frustrations with movie theaters is the lack of accessibility when it comes to deaf people I have a deaf brother, so it's always annoying when we cannot understand the story when we see a movie at a theater. What is your position on this? Oh, that's a that's a touchy question. Mm. Um, it's a great question. Accessibility is a big issue in our society as a whole. Whether it's accessibility for people with physical limitations, you know, things like a, or, or a sense uh, limitation, like deaf people and stuff like that. And what do you do? about making the movie theater experience more accessible for those who are deaf. I don't know what the answer is, Rob, because look, I get it from, from the theater's point of view. And by the way, I know there are theaters that will schedule screenings with full subtitles and, and hearing assistance and things like that. I, I know in Canada, there were several theaters that they had special screening rooms where you could actually put on headsets and there for that was for more hard of hearing, but for actual people who are deaf. But I also get, that you can't just slap subtitles on all the movies because a lot of the audience doesn't want to see subtitles on movies. So I, I get that. Screen time is at a premium, Rob. So like when you're putting a movie on a screen, theaters need those seats filled. And the, because filling those seats means it's more people in the theater buying popcorn and soda and blah, blah, blah. And how many people will you actually get out if you designate a part of your day just for people who are hearing impaired. I don't know. Maybe that's a financially that's financially costly. At the same time, you do want experiences like this to be accessible to the most amount of people possible. So I think it's a great question, Nosferatu. I honestly don't have an answer to it. I, I, I just don't have an answer. That's how important of a question it is. I just don't know. Rob, what's your take on that? Well, it's it that's a tough one. I mean you know, I think that there's probably technology like maybe um, uh, like augmented reality or something like That's maybe a they could idea. you know, maybe provide glasses or something for people that would 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 be able to put subtitles on the screen or something or maybe something along those lines. I mean, I could see that happening. Um, but you know, the, the, unfortunately the amount of people that would avail themselves of those services is probably fairly small. So how you got to ask yourself, unfortunately, the economic realities of making something like that possible, would they be beneficial? And obviously, you know, it's like having a, a wheelchair accessible buildings, you know, with ramps and things like that. They made it they made it that kind of thing a necessity. And I think that something like that could definitely happen. I just don't know how because you can't put subtitles on movies that are in the native country of whoever is speaking i think that would be or maybe you could have one show a day or something i i just don't know but it's a really good question i know there were some experiments too before where 
people had the option. They only did it a couple of times. I think Kevin Smith might have been one of the guys who first tested out. This is years ago, where when you went to a movie, you could actually get this little uh, device with headphones, and you could watch the movie and hear a director's commentary while watching the movie. I remember they tested something like that out. So maybe something like an augmented reality, some kind of 3D glasses that will also display. Some, I mean, that might be a great idea, Rob. I mean, yeah. it's possible, but it's a great question. And one that should be addressed. So thanks for bringing that up. Uh, next up, Brian Solis writes, To the gruesome twosome, a month or so ago I asked about the video of Vin Diesel trying to flirt with a reporter. I'm wondering if you ever got a chance to see that video because I need to know all of your thoughts about it. The filthy will rise again. I, I never did watch it. No, I didn't. Um, I... I, I thought it was funny sounding at first. I generally don't like to watch videos of people embarrassing themselves. I don't know. I just feel I'm I'm more comfortable, Rob, watching people getting their arms broken than I am watching people get embarrassed or embarrassing themselves. So I've never seen it myself. Did you ever see that uh, that Vin Diesel video? No, I didn't. But it it is I I too I don't like to see. I mean, I never like to see anybody in uncomfortable situations. I always feel bad for them. <laughs> But no, I, I he's it's not the first time he's flirted with with people too. I mean, I know in the past there's a few videos online over the years with Vin Diesel flirting with reporters, but I haven't seen this new one. All right. Next up, uh we've got uh David 27 who writes, "Hey John, you said Avengers 1 is the greatest comic book movie of all time. To me it is. To me it is. Uh while I agree it was a great movie in my opinion, Captain America Civil War is the greatest comic book movie of all time." You no, know, that's always a big debate. You can bring up. Like, you ever just want to have a, a, a everybody jump into a conversation, throw in the throw in the topic. Hey, what's the best comic book movie ever made? Everybody's got an opinion. Mine is the original Avengers. I still think, from a pure point of view, that is still the best comic book movie going experience I've ever had. Um, many, some will say Civil War. Some will say Winter Soldier. Uh, some will say Logan. Some will say uh, many will say The Dark Knight. Uh, there's a lot of valid you know, options for that. But yeah, Avengers is mine. Civil War is yours. And I love Civil War. I love Civil War very, very much. All right, next up. Uh, Remmer 27 writes, uh, Hey, John, I want to talk about the Kevin Feige or Russo's uh, brother discussion from a couple of weeks ago. Overall, Kevin Feige deserves all the credit because he oversees everything. But the Russo brothers, in my opinion, have made four of the greatest comic book movies. Um, uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, uh, sorry, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Captain America, Civil War, Avengers, Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame are four of the greatest comic book movies of all time, in my opinion. Civil War is the best comic book movie of all time. Again, I disagree. I think Avengers is, but these are all great movies that they they did. Um, and, you know, Rob, that's going to be an ongoing discussion for a while. You know, the t you remember the topic came up a while back, like, who gets more credit for those four films? Does Kevin Feige get it or does the Russo brothers get it? And I said, while there's a lot of credit to go around, for sure, I think I personally think the lion's share of it has to go to Kevin Feige. Because he, I mean, what the Russo brothers are able to do is to come into somebody else's playground. Somebody else already created the playground, made the sandbox, made the jungle gym, put all the stuff in place, and they were able to come in under Kevin Feige's direction and following what he said needs to happen, what can't happen, and they were able to make four great movies guys that weren't incredibly successful before Kevin Feige. And as much as I absolutely adore the Russo brothers, adore them, let's face it. They haven't been incredibly successful since working with Kevin Feige. And so what's the common denominator? Whereas Kevin Feige has made tons of great shit without the Russo brothers. 
So while I definitely think the Russo brothers deserve a good amount of the credit for those four movies, they were the directors, obviously. I still believe the lion's share of the credit goes to Kevin Feige because you look at the MCU as a whole. But that's still my take on it. Rob, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I we the entire MCU is I think I, I see it as a collective and it has had many different filmmakers adding to the the mix. I mean, first of all, I would say first and foremost, they've done a fantastic job casting the parts. And then they've done a fantastic job designing the characters. I think the, the costumes have gone a long way. The costumes and the actors went a long way toward realizing the vision of the universe. Because if they didn't have those, where would we be? But filmmakers have sort of built on the work of the previous filmmakers and i think that it really is truly is a collective i mean yes kevin feige is a great producer but he's putting people together that you needed all those people to make the films what they are it's not any one person's or the russo brothers it's not them it's a collective and i think that one of the really interesting things it's almost i see it more like a symphony you know you've got a great conductor in, in feige but you've got a lot of great players. You've got a hundred different musicians that are all adding to the, the piece. And I, I really don't think it's any one or two people. I think it really is a collection of, of, of all of these people. And I think it's unique in cinema history. I mean, you can say, look, the Russo brothers, when they came on board, Captain America, the Winter Soldier is an amazing movie. And, and no doubt that the Russo brothers brought something unique to it because they had something to prove they 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 drew upon a lot of other people's action films for inspiration but you still needed to have the building blocks there that were already established by other directors and other people and kevin feige's previous collaborators so uh, you know i don't know if, it, if, if if i i just see it all as it it's all a souffle i guess <laughs> if that makes any sense but I wouldn't say that any single individual is necessarily responsible for all of it, other than Kevin Feige overseeing this and making sure that all the component parts have constantly been up to uh, up to par. All right. Next up, we go to Mark 2021 who writes, Hey, John, I'm a little late to the party, but I finally got around to watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And one thing I didn't expect was to see Roman Polanski. Well, I mean, if you understood what, once upon a time was revolving around Roman Polanski had to be a part of that. Anyway, at least the character of Roman Polanski had to be a part of that. Uh, and I felt a little uneasy. I hear he's a great filmmaker and I have never watched, um, any of his movies, but I do love film, but it's a little awkward considering his crimes. And I watch the movies without liking his personal, without linking his personal life to the films. I do try to separate art from personal life. I am unsure whether to watch, uh, the movies or not. I mean, look that this is a question, Rob, that comes up all the time. I mean, do how do you separate the 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 personality from the art? Uh, when should you support somebody's art? When should you not? I don't have a lot of hard fast rules for that. To me, it's all about like art is again movies are experiential events, right. and you know there are some times when I know someone is a complete jackass, and I'm able to watch their movies no problem for whatever reason. My experience is perfectly fine. And there's sometimes when somebody's a complete jackass and I have a difficult time watching the movies. It's not a choice I make. It's just, it's not a choice we as individuals make. We just know that our experience with it now feels a little tainted and I just can't, I just can't watch it. You know, whatever. There's no hard and fast rule. 
if you watch something with a Roman Polanski in it, uh, a dude who drugged and sodomized an underage girl, if you watching a movie that has him as a figure in it and you're able to separate what he was in real life versus what's going on in the events of the movie, fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. If you're somebody that you're finding you're having a net, you're negatively reacting to it and you're, you're having a negative response to it and you're having a negative experience, then for you, avoid it. I, I don't really think there's a hard and fast rule to it. I think it's something we all got to judge for ourselves. So I would never tell somebody how they should feel about it. You know, if, if I'm never going to tell somebody you should watch Roman Polanski films, I'm not going to tell somebody they shouldn't. I'll tell you how I feel about it, but that's just me. It all depends how you feel about an individual and how does it affect your experience. Rob, how would you address what Mark is asking? Wow, that's it's that's a real tough that's a real tough call. Um, I look at films again; they're the products of many, many, many different people working: the crew, the cast, clearly the director, the studio. Uh, if there's somebody that has done something, I, also it's it, it if somebody's done something. I, I tend to look at people who've committed crimes. Is this, are they truly an evil person or a bad person? Is it repeated behavior that has followed them? Have they done a lot of, a lot of this throughout their lives? The situation with Roman Polanski was incredibly unfortunate, but it, it, it wasn't a normal pattern of behavior for him, at least not as far as I know. Um, and, and surely it was something that he did it like, he copped to it. He said, yes, I did this. It was a, it was a crime criminal act, but would I say that Chinatown or Rosemary's baby, two of my favorite movies, should I not watch them? I don't know. I mean, I can't, I, I separate, like it's easy for me to watch a great story and separate it from the crimes of anybody who was involved because especially when you don't see any of that person's bad behavior within the context of what the movie's about. And it's hard. I mean, I, 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 uh, it is, it's a hard one, man, because there's actors I can't watch anymore. Mm. You know, I see their performances like the Kevin Spacey thing's a little rough for me. I thought Kevin Spacey's a great actor, but you know, not, I I've actually witnessed his bad behavior in person. And when you've seen that, it's it's hard. It's hard to disassociate yourself from that behavior, mm. and it's hard to. So it's it's that's a tough one, John. It, it is I it is tough, and I I think everybody's got to kind of make that decision for yourself. So you're not alone in in feeling that way, Mark. You're not alone to feel that way. All right, next up, uh, Matthew uh, Montalongo writes. Just wondering if you finished. Oh, is am I on the right one? Yes. Uh, just wondering if you finished. The High Republic novel, novel, Light of the Jedi, there's another uh, novel called The Rising Storm, which I personally love more than the first. The next novel will be written by Claudia Gray. I'm loving The High Republic so far. And by the way, I love Claudia Gray's writing. And I love her writing in the Star Wars universe. I think maybe my second or third all-time favorite Star Wars novel was written by Claudia Gray. And it's called Lost Stars. It's fantastic. I honestly cannot recommend it high enough. Um, Lords of the Sith is probably my favorite right after that is probably Lost Stars and basically if you don't know Lost Stars it, it looks back at the events of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi but it tells it from the perspective of these two young kids who are 
best friends, star-crossed lovers, as they grow up and they go in different paths, one joins the Empire, one joins the Rebellion, both think they're right. And we see as the backdrop to their story, the events of Star Wars, Empire, and then ultimately Return of the Jedi, and it's fabulously done. I, on, I honestly cannot recommend this book highly enough. I have ditched on the High Republic. I got I started reading the first book and I enjoyed the first couple of chapters. As I got further into it, nothing wrong. I honestly I just got bored with it. Hmm. Again, nothing wrong. It's not like oh, I couldn't stand that they did this. No, I I was just reading it and I just realized when I finished one session with it, I just realized I don't really feel like I, I an overwhelming need to go back and pick this up. So yeah, I, I personally kind of ditched on it, and I don't have a lot of interest in, in furthering it, even though the great Claudia Gray is writing it. If Claudia Gray writes other stuff, I, I'll definitely check it out. But yeah, for me, it uh, it just didn't work. And by the way, Rory Goodridge sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rory. Appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, we go over to an anonymous viewer who writes, Yes, Frank Darabont did write a script for Indy 4. Yeah, I was mentioning that the other day, that I believe it was Frank Darabont who actually wrote a script for Indy 4 that George Lucas rejected. Um, it would be called Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods. And the tagline was, Adventure Still Has a Name. And yes, I do have it. Would you like me to send it to you? Well, listen, I know that that script is available many places online. So if I, if I need it, I can go grab it pretty quickly enough. But Rob, we were talking the other day about, you know, you had Frank Darabont writing a script for a new Indiana Jones film. Ford liked it. Spielberg liked it. They wanted to make it, but their agreement as a, as a triumphant was that all of them had to agree and George Lucas wanted to do Kingdom of the Crystal Skull instead. Which, you know, combined with the prequel movies is one of the reasons why I will forever worship at the altar of George Lucas, but I don't want him doing another Star Wars movie. Um, I just don't understand. And by the way, Anton Riley sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Anton. I, I just don't get how you get the great Frank Darabont writing you a script. And I have never read it, but I can't imagine it wasn't at least twice as good as <laughs> what came with the Crystal Skull. Rob, I know you're a big script writer. I, I don't know if I've ever asked you. Did you ever read Darabont's script for uh, Indiana Jones? I, I did. I mean, I... It's it's good, but it wasn't as great as you would want it to be. Mm. And I, I think there's a reason why they didn't go with that script. I mean, why they made <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I I don't really know. Uh, I, I, I find that movie very baffling, to be honest. You know, I, I tried watching it recently, and I'm like, the first half an hour is not so bad, but... I think what's really weird was when you watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the first see is this is the the you know how the Paramount Mountain was always part of the movies, but yes. in, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it's kind of a joke, you know, it's a molehill, and you're like, why why are you doing that? It was always kind of neat that the Paramount Mountain promised great adventure, but that's not what happens in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's like it's a joke from the beginning, and I I don't like that, John. It's unfortunate. All right, we move on. Next up, uh, we've got Chuck the Mystery who writes, Hey, John, totally agree with your thoughts on Snake Eyes. Felt so bad for Storm Shadow. He was the hero of the film. He was the good guy. And he gets screwed over so bad so many times in that movie. Anyway, 
I felt so bad for Storm Shadow. Snake Eyes was absolutely the villain, and the shaky cam was nausea-inducing. I do, however, hope that we see more of Andrew Koji, me too, in the future. The guy is a superstar. I agree. And listen, you've heard me talking about it. Let me reemphasize it again. If you are not watching Warrior on HBO, and I was late to the party, but if you are not watching Warrior on HBO, you need to watch Warrior on HBO. Um, it It is so much better than I thought it was going to be. And uh, Andrew Koji is a stud. I want to see this guy in more stuff. I actually thought his performance in Snake Eyes was pretty solid. And I want to see more with him. So, yeah, there's that. All right, next up. Chuck the Mystery also writes, John, a few months ago I asked if you thought that the HBO Batgirl would be in the same universe as Matt Reeves' Batman. You went over 30% uh, that it would be. With Leslie Grace officially cast as Barbara, over under 40% that we will see Jeffrey Wright in Batgirl. That's a good question, Rob, because listen, it, it does make a lot of sense. Like if Jeffrey Wright is our Commissioner Gordon, Somebody who looks more like Leslie Grace is the more logical choice to play back. I mean, you could always say it was somebody who was adopted. I would have been cool with that if they gotten an Asian actress, a white actress, whatever, and they say the adopted daughter instead. I would have been cool with that. Fine. But it does make more sense there. I will go. I honestly think that Jeffrey Wright is going to be, I have no insider information on this. This is me as a fan speculating. I think he's going to end up being the connective tissue between a lot of these DC properties. And so I will go over 40% that we are going to see Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon in the Leslie Grace Batgirl show. I I, I have no proof of that. This is, again, me speculating. But I would go well over 40% on that. Rob, what do you think? I think you're right. I mean, first of all, Jeffrey Wright's a great actor. And what a great sort of fulcrum point for all of these projects. It's the Gotham PD show they're making for their big HBO Max to a new Batgirl movie to, I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? And I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I think what, you know, we don't really have a sense. They did release the trailer. I'm really curious about this upcoming Batman movie because I don't think yet we have a sense of, what kind of a movie it's going to be and um i'm curious because it seems like they're doing a whole bat universe thing and i'm 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 kind of excited about it i am very excited for this batman movie i am super stoked for this batman movie all right uh next up we got robin who writes hey john so today they announced that matt ryan will no longer play john constantine in the legends of tomorrow this raises the question if this is because of the upcoming hbo max show uh and if warner isn't really interested in multiverse uh what do you think well i mean look let me put it this way i totally see why some people are drawing a a connection like a cause and effect here jj abrams is producing a constantine thing for hbo and we've got this other constantine going on over here so oh you can't have them both going at the same time so wipe them out but So I understand, I don't think it's crazy to ask that question. But DC has shown they're more than willing to have multiple iterations of characters running around all over the place. So, and I know the HBO Max stuff isn't going to tie in with the Arrowverse. So I I honestly probably don't think it's connected. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody comes out and confirms that it is connected. That it, that it is the cause and effect, that because we're doing this HBO thing, we wanted to get rid of the Constantine character on Legends of Tomorrow. I won't be surprised if somebody says that is the fact. 
But for now, I'm going to guess it's probably not. And, you know, Matt Ryan is still going to be on Legends of Tomorrow. There, he's just going to be playing a different character. So, and by the way, lots of characters on Legend of Tomorrow have come and gone. Like, a lot. It's one of the reasons why I jumped off the show. Like, by the time we got into season three, it was like more than half the cast is different now. And it was constantly, and I just, bleh, I just kind of gave up on the show. But um, this is a show that has had characters come and go all the time. So having a John Constantine character go is not that big of a surprise because they do it with almost all their characters. Very few have lasted you know, pretty long. So my guess is that it's not connected. Rob, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you think it is because obviously, you know, you got the one thing coming. Maybe they want to get rid of that. Do you think that's the cause or do you think there's another reason they're getting rid of the Constantine character off of Legends of Tomorrow? I think it probably does have something to do with it. Um, you know, they want they might want to take the Constantine character in a different direction and having two different Constantines at the same time might not be something that they want. I mean, that that seems that seems plausible to me. I like his take on Constantine quite a bit. Um, but I, I, I who knows? I mean, I, I think if you're creating a new show, the last thing you want is the same character in another show that you're trying to create a new show for. So it makes sense to me that they're making this change. And but but the actor, I mean, I think it's kind of neat that the people that are working on Legends of Tomorrow are like, we we love you. And it's nothing that our show has done. Like we we want to keep you around. So we're going to create a new character. I'm curious to see what they do, actually. Like, what are they going to do? And I think it's cool. It's 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 uh kudos to those producers for not 86ing him as an actor. Like like it wasn't their fault that you know that why that they have to make this change right so why why lose the actor why put somebody out of work i think it's really cool that they're going to keep him around and change change him into something else all right next up we go to miguel zayan who writes hey john one of two with the news of basam Tariq helming the blade movie i decided to watch mogul mowgli and I got to say, this guy can tell a good story. I really liked how external conflict of the film is kind of like the metaphor for Riz's internal struggles. It's also interesting to see the MCU effect, if you will, and how it affects filmmakers they hire. Like when the Blade director, hearing the news made me want to go see his film. Same with uh, Zhao and uh, Taika. I watched their other previous films due to interest. Rob, that's something we don't actually talk about very much, but it's true. There is a little bit of an MCU effect that... Once somebody is either cast in an MCU project or a director comes on board to direct, it causes a lot of people to then go out and seek out their older content and to see what else that they've done before. I know I've done that. Obviously, he's yep. done. Now, I have still not seen uh, uh, Mogul Mowgli. I still haven't seen that one myself. So I'm very unfamiliar with his work. I just know a lot of people talk very highly about it. So fantastic. Obviously, they knocked it out of the park with Chloe Zhao. I mean, I wanted to see, um, uh, why am I forgetting, um, Nomadland? I wanted to see Nomadland before, you know, I heard about Eternals, but knowing she was going to be doing Eternals, that really made it a priority that I had to watch right. Nomadland. And I'm glad I did because it's honestly one of my favorite movies of the last number of years. Nomadland's brilliant to me, but there is that MCU effect. Do you see that too? Or do you just think it's coincidental? No, I think, uh, look, when you, I, I absolutely go back and watch. I think that's true of any director. If I see a director that's made a movie and I haven't seen their work previously and they've done something that I've liked or something that's coming out that I'm interested in, I absolutely go out and seek out their their work. And for the, the fact that 
obviously Kevin Feige has a really great nose for talent. And uh, he, I mean, <laughs> so anybody that's done anything, uh, when you see a director tap to come on board the MCU, I, I think anything that they've made is probably worth, worth watching because that's what Kevin Feige saw and convinced him to bring these people on board. So I think that, that that's uh, it's ab- absolutely something that we do. You know, we go back and we look into people's past work to see what they're capable of. By the way, and usually it's great. I was just going to say to that point, Anton Riley just reminded me of something uh, in the live chat. Anton Riley says, I watched Kim's Convenience once Simu Lu got casted in Shang-Chi. All right. Which is great. And anything that drives people to go see Kim's Convenience is a good thing because you got to watch Kim, Kim's Convenience. It's awesome. All right. Thanks for that, guys. Next up, we've got uh, Naturo, uh, or uh, Naruto writes, daily appreciation to the old man who stood up to Loki in the first Avengers movie. I'll tell you what, that moment to me in Avengers when Loki is making everybody in the plaza kneel and this old man won't kneel, he says, you know, kneel to men like you. And Loki says, you know, old man, there are no men like me. And he looks at him. He says, there are always men like you. I'm like, Oh geez, this is a comic book movie. This is a comic book movie. I love that moment. It, to me, it's still one of the defining moments of the MCU when it was still in its earlier days, when you got to that first Avengers movie, that was that was just such an incredible moment. I love that. And I, I still, Rob, honestly, I still think about that moment often. That's um, a great moment. It's a fabulous moment. I love that. Thanks for writing that in, Naruto. All right, next up, Mr. Hoover writes, Hey, John, I just created a YouTube channel. I have uploaded seven videos and nobody is watching. I'm only talking about sports so far. Uh, what should I do to get more views? How many uploads should I have a week? Uh, God bless. Well, here's the thing, Mr. Hoover. I've talked about this a lot. Everybody asks the question, How do I get more viewers and how do I make money? And those are the wrong questions to ask. You just started your channel. Focus your... Oh, anyway, yes. Um, A lot of the times, the the first question that people want to rush to and ask is, you know, how do I get more viewers? How do I make more money? Um, Yada, 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 on and on and on, things like that. And again, that's the wrong question to ask. The question you should be asking is, how do I make my content better? And how do I work on this? I liken it unto this. It's like saying, you know what? I'm going to learn to play piano. I'm going to learn to play piano. So let's book a local concert hall and schedule four concerts for myself in the 300-seat concert hall next week. <laughs> and then wondering why nobody's buying any tickets. I, I So I would say this. Don't worry about um, you know, how many viewers, especially if you've made seven videos so far. Don't worry about how many viewers you have. If if you're if your whole thing about doing this is I got to get all these viewers, then you're starting off wrong and you're going to keep all of your attention on making better product because quite frankly, like they say, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And until you get great at making the videos, you probably don't want a lot of people coming and checking out your videos because if they come and check out your channel and say, ah, that's not a very good video, it's unlikely they're ever going to come back. So don't even worry about that yet. Just keep your focus on creating content and it doesn't matter how often you upload. The only rule I would say is make it regular, whether it's once a week, whether it's Mondays and Thursdays, whether it's daily, it almost doesn't matter. Just make sure you know what your schedule is and stick to that schedule. It doesn't really matter if it's weekly, monthly, three times a week, whatever. Just make sure that the people who do subscribe to your channel and start watching know when they can count on new content going up. And if you do that, you should be good. But again, 
Don't even worry about how do I get more viewers? Don't worry about that right now. Get really good at making content first and then worry about the viewers. And, and that other stuff will come. And by the way, I've made several videos about this on YouTube. Just go and look up on YouTube, getting started or how to YouTube, search YouTube, search on YouTube for how to YouTube John Campia. And you should find some longer videos I've done on the subject. But again, focus more on the content you're creating. That's my best advice. All right. Next I, have, I have a bit of advice. Oh, I'd love to hear your advice. I, I, I would stream for five years with John Schnepp and John Campia before you start your own YouTube channel. <laughs> that's my advice. <laughs> that's uh, that's always a good one. That's always it a worked. good one. It worked for me. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Where are we at now? We are at... Uh, that was Mr. Hoover. Thanks for writing that to Mr. Hoover, and best of luck on that. Uh, Tron writes, since Black Widow failed to open at $100 million, what do you think the first film will be to open at $100 million? Suicide Squad? I don't think so. Shang-Chi? Honestly, I don't think so. It's too brand new of a character. I think it'll do well, but I don't think it'll do 100 Ven Venom 2? I still think more time needed for that. Eternals? Maybe. Spider-Man 3? Probably. Uh, but the one I think has the best chance... And it could happen before it, but the one I think that has um, the best chance for hitting that hundred million dollars first is probably No Time to Die. I'm I'm guessing it's No Time to Die. That's my guess. Rob, if you had to guess right now, what's going to be the first movie to hit a hundred million dollars opening weekend post pandemic? Which one do you think it's going to be? Well, if what we've been hearing, I I I think Suicide Squad has a shot. Because of just because of what I've been hearing about it, but it is R-rated, so that might hinder the uh, the box office. But I think you're probably right. I think it's going to be No Time to Die is pretty much. Although, you know, the James Bond franchise doesn't do as well in America as it does around the rest of the world. But I do think that there's a big appetite for this movie. I just watched a new TV spot for it, and I think you're right. I think. I think No Time to Die is pretty much guaranteed for that hundred million dollars. But I'm not I'm not counting out Suicide Squad because everyone seems to really like it. But again, it's on HBO Max, so yeah. So that really probably hurts not. Its chances. I'll say this too. By the way, I had, you know, we talked about the first reactions that came out that were just over the moon good. Um, I talked to a Hollywood producer who's produced some some films that you guys have seen and know was talking to me this weekend. They had a chance to watch suicide squad and they said that they believe it is a top three greatest comic book movie of all time. Now that's not me saying that uh, for all I know, I may not like it, although I'm very predisposed to liking James Gunn's projects, obviously, but just, this was just the opinion of one person. It just, you know, this one person happened to say to me, Robert and I were talking about this pre-show thought it's a top three comic book film of all time dude i'm getting very excited but you're right it's suicide squad there's a bit of a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths from the first one even though i had fun with the first one i admit um there's a bad taste in some people's mouths about that one it's uh gonna be day and date release on hbo max because hbo or warner brothers decided to backstab all their partners um it's that's gonna be very 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 difficult for that one but i am Damn excited about it. Man, right. I, I just can't believe there's a movie that Starro is in. I can't believe it. I and can't King believe Shark. <laughs> I can't. I, I'm Shark. just blown away by this. God bless James Gunn. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Tron who writes, one of two. While the Delta, Delta variant shouldn't be ignored, 
I blame the muted box office numbers on the quality of product lately uh, has been mediocre at best. Outside of A Quiet Place and In the Heights, I haven't seen a film that I liked or loved this year. Black Widow was fine. I don't know. Uh, I just feel like it's just been mediocre slash bad summer movie-wise so far. Example, F9, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Spiral Conjuring, Snake Eyes, Old... And after no movies for the past year, it should be better. I just pray that the uh, fall films don't end up getting delayed now because of this. Yeah, look, I think, though, when you look at it, you cannot get away from the fact that opening numbers like Fast 9 and Black Widow, you have to look at those box office results, particularly the opening weekend results, through the lens of understanding the era that we're in right now. And the era that we're in right now is the theaters are just getting their feet back under them. A lot of people have still not gotten back into the habit of going to the movie theaters. That is huge. Just getting people back into the habit of going back to the movie theaters is going to be a process. It's going to take time. And so whereas Fast 9, as bad as it was, that movie, if it was non-pandemic time, easily would have cracked $120, $130 million opening weekend. Rob, easy. Easy. Doesn't matter how bad it was. It's still the Fast 9 franchise. A lot of people would have gone first weekend. Black Widow would have been 150 to $175 million opening weekend. Easy. Doesn't matter whether you liked it or not. It's the latest MCU film. A lot of people, but it's just part of it. Now, is a part of it also the quality thing? Yes, but if that was the case too, then it would have had a different impact on things like Quiet Place 2 and things like that as well. So I agree that is definitely a part of it. I just don't think you can ignore the circumstances that the theatrical and movie-going experience is right now. There's still a lot of people that are just getting back into the habit of it. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. Appreciate it. Next up, Crashing Coyote writes, I stopped watching Walking Dead when they killed Carl off. However, Comic-Con trailer for final season just dropped and holy shit, it looks good. All I needed to see was Negan say to Maggie, do you trust me? And I got chills. Plus, Young Sylvie actress is Judith Grimes. Rob, I don't know about you, but you know, I, 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 I was completed with Walking Dead. <laughs> At the end, I was just done. It's like, it's not that I started to hate the show. It's just, I felt like, you know, like you're eating a delicious dinner and the food is delicious, but at some point you're full. It's like, I'm not saying the food isn't good still. I'm, I've just, I've had my fill. When they ended that season with Negan, where the season ended with him in the cage and and uh, Rick had him in the cage and stuff like that. I was at that point, I'm good. Like I, I'm, I'm walking deaded out at that point. <laughs> I'm not saying that the show wasn't good anymore. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying for me, I was full. So I haven't gone back to it since. And honestly, I have no interest in going back to it. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, did you watch? I can't remember. Did you watch Walking Dead? If so, how far into it are you still watching? Yeah, it? What are your thoughts on it? I, I, I always watch it. I was. It's one of those shows where I look. I loved it when it first started, but then it got to the point where I'm like, enough already. Like, why don't you guys move to Wyoming? Like, why are you staying around here? <laughs> like, get get in a, a, a Winnebago and and go into a less populated area of the world. And I just I, I I I got tired of it, but then I always find myself going back and kind of binging it once the season's over, and I'm caught up. So I I can't believe I'm caught up with the show, but I I, 
I can't believe I'm still watching it. Like you, I'm just I'm I've been walking deaded out for a long time, but then I always go back and watch it. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> and uh, I watched the Comic Con thing that, and I'm like, I'll go watch it. It looks good. I mean, I just I hate myself for it, but. How often can they, it's like enough already. <laughs> Go somewhere else, you know, leave. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got Silly Goose who writes, I recently wrote in about watching The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings for the first time. I have since rewatched both trilogies, and I have to say, I think I like The Hobbit more. Uh, I'd say Desolation of Smaug is my favorite, plus Bilbo is an awesome character. Bilbo is no doubt an awesome character. And there's a lot about, the, I think the original Hobbit, or sorry, the original, I think the Hobbit trilogy takes more flack than it actually deserves. I particularly like the first film. I really do like the first film. I thought the second was pretty good. The big problem with the third film was that it was all payoff, no setup. And they'd forgotten that it had been years since we saw certain characters on screen together and blah, blah, blah. And they, it just felt, I don't know, it just felt like an incomplete film. But uh, listen, to me, there's no comparison. The Lord of the Rings is so vastly superior to the Hobbit trilogy to me. So I don't hear from many people who prefer the Hobbit trilogy over it. But hey, man, that's why that is the beautiful thing about film, man. You watched it and that was your experience. And I'm glad you had it, man. I'm glad you had it. All right. Next up, uh, we go to Phil Costa, who writes. You once said you thought David Lynch was Canadian. Yeah, I did. I think I was confusing it with David Cronenberg. Anyway, um, I think I know why you were probably thinking of David Cronenberg. Yes, um, he is Canadian. If so, it's understandable. Both are named David uh, and both make weird and surreal movies. Which David do you prefer? Well, I should be saving, saying David Cronenberg, and he's great, but I got to go with David Lynch. I have mm. to go with David Lynch on that one. But yes, you're right. You completely identified why I got that confused before. Rob, you you had to pick between those two Davids, David Cronenberg and David Lynch. Which one's yours? I got to say, I'm a Cronenberg fan from way he's, back. He was great. hugely influential on me. And uh, his early films like Shivers and The Brood and Rabid, uh, I'm a huge fan of him. But I, I love David Lynch, but I do. I got to go with Cronenberg. By the way, The Dead Zone comes out on a special edition Blu-ray this week. Very excited. I'm surprised that hadn't come out already, to be honest. Oh, it had, but this is a new version. Ah, uh, got it, got it, got it. Okay, next up, we go to James Lockman, who writes, Showtime dropped a new trailer and the release date of November 7th for Dexter. We were talking about that earlier in the show. Giving us a sneak on what to expect when the show comes out. I can't wait. I'm about halfway through uh, rewatching the entire series. Will you be doing an open spoiler discussion? Probably not. And the listen, I'm not even 100% sure I'm going to be watching the show, Rob. What? I know. I love Dexter. And I probably will. But here's why. It's on a network I don't have. Um, I don't have Showtime. Uh, now I can get it and I can pay for yet another streaming service. But I pay a lot of money every month on streaming services yeah. already. Like a lot. And I, I mean, look, let's I mean, who am I kidding? I, I will probably get Showtime just so I can watch the season of Dexter. I probably will, but I don't think, um, I don't think that I will be doing a, uh, post show spoiler reviews because I don't know that a lot of people are going to watch it, to be honest with you. And the fact that it's on showtime, it limits the potential audience even more. So I don't know if I hear from everybody that they want us to do 
Dexter post-show spoiler discussions, I'll do it. Um, but I right now I don't know that I will because I just don't know that enough people are going to watch it. But but that's that's just me. Uh, so I don't. Do you have Showtime right now, Rob? No, I don't. See, I, I had I, it. I had it watching Ray Donovan, and I kind of, and then I kind of canceled it when Ray Donovan ended. So I I don't know. I'd be going back and getting the damn streaming service just to watch one show. So. Will you be getting it to watch Dexter? I, I think so, because I really like Dexter. So. I, I like Dexter. I probably like, Who am I kidding? I'm probably going to do that, too. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Christopher Rosado, who writes, Hey, John. So me and my dad, he's 64, have been watching some movies and shows together. We watched all the Indiana Jones films. That's awesome. And I finally got him into Marvel with WandaVision, his favorite show. He loves Wanda. I loved WandaVision. Anyway, he watched the other shows, too, with me, and he likes them. Listen, this is the best part about movies and screened entertainment. They are, I've always say this, they're experiential events. And like most experiential events, it's better when it's with somebody else. And you get to have that experience together, even yep. sex experience. You can do by yourself. Sure. But it's always better with other people and hell, the more, the merrier anyway. Really? Uh, but yeah, maybe not with your dad, maybe not with your 64 year old dad, but I'm, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, wow, is that, that got creepy movies and TV shows are so great with that. Some of my fondest memories of my life are watching movies with certain people and certain times. And if you can do that with, uh, with, you know, somebody who's close and special to you, like a, like your father or your your best friends or whatever it's amazing so that is great christopher that you're having that experience with them all right next up uh michael bradley writes hello john i saw old and i didn't like it but did you see arrow and doctor who actor john barrowman's comments on it uh he trashed it while nagging while while tagging m night and then getting a refund from the theater what a total ass in my opinion yeah that's not cool that's not classy. I like John Barrowman very much, but that's not classy. But it's it's not as bad, at least. It's not like there was another version of old that John Barrowman was in, and then he was trashing the new people doing the same property. It's not quite as bad as like no. the director for uh, the original Space Jam. It's not that it's not as bad as that. But still, I, I'm disappointed because I do like John Barrowman very much, and I think that's pretty much a lack of class. I think that's pretty non-classy on his part to do that, but not as bad as like, say what uh, Stephen Dork did and what, uh, what the director of space jam did not quite as bad, but eh, still kind of lack of class. Anyway, next up uh, we've got uh, Ryan Lohner who writes, I didn't have much interest in the new masters of the universe show, but when the usual man baby started freaking out about it, I figured there must be something worthwhile there. And sure enough, it's pretty darn awesome. Check it out. Well, here's the thing, Rob, I had not, uh, my brother-in-law Ray was over the other day. And when Ray came over, he's like, Oh, have you seen the new masters of the universe yet? And I'm like, uh, I'm like, no. So he goes, Oh, okay. Just watch the first episode. Watch, let's watch the first episode. So I'm like, all right. So we watched the first episode. And, and again, it's it's like Walking Dead. It's not like there's anything, it suddenly became bad to me. There was nothing wrong with the new Masters of the Universe, the first episode. It just, it wasn't for me. It didn't click for me. It didn't work for me. Now, I know some people were very, very upset because there was an emphasis on the Tila character and I'd heard about all that nonsense and I don't give a shit about that. It's just, I watched the show and it just didn't click for me. So... I'm not tremendously interested in going back and watching the rest. Rob, did you watch, uh, did you have a chance to watch this new Masters of the Universe? 
you know, no, I didn't. And, you know, I I was a little too old for He-Man. And then I worked on a He-Man documentary back in 2012. I've never been a fan of that show. And it's been interesting to see a lot of people. A lot of people clearly were fans of it. But I'm like, I'm not sure what they expected it to be. I mean, to me, you know, I did a whole show. And it's one of my wa- most watched shows on Saturday. And I I hadn't seen it. And, uh, and yet, man, people are so into it. And um, I don't want to take that away from them, but it it just doesn't resonate with me at all. Yeah, I, like I said, it just it just didn't work for me. That's all. Just like a lot of other things, just don't work. But there's nothing wrong with it uh, in general. Okay, next up we go to where are we at? That was Ryan Loner. Next up we have Call of Duty God who writes, uh, "Hey John, the lyrics were for Jam on it from Nucleus back in your days of breakdancing. Do you remember it now? Nope, still doesn't ring a bell. Uh, that was this is a question that Call of Duty God brought up on my uh, on my uh, companion video last night. Uh, good little one hit wonder by them. Love the lyrics from the song about Superman. Again, I don't remember it myself, so there's that. But I'm sure probably a lot of people do though. I'm sure a lot of people are remembering it. All right, next up, BK Dan writes, John." In reference to the video game movie Curse, which is the biggest loser in the box office? I believe that Final Fantasy Spirits Within wins it, losing 50 to $60 million before marketing. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I don't know, BK, because I don't, I don't have the numbers up in front of me to look at all, because there's a long list of video game movies, man, and a long list of them are all failures. What was the biggest failure? I don't have the numbers in front of me. But yes, Final Fantasy Spirits Within was a big financial failure. And it was a bad movie. It was gorgeous. It was Rob. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. It was way oh, yeah, ahead I saw of it in the time. theater. Did you? Yeah, so did yeah. I. And I I didn't think it was a very good movie. But holy crap, it especially for the era that it was made, remarkably beautiful. Yeah. Remarkably. What was your impressions when you watched that thing, Rob? Well, I, I thought the same thing, I, but I, I, you know, I, I have to say, I watched some of that the other day. I just clicked on it. It was on, on cable and I was struck watching it again. The same thing I was struck by. It, it was like, why is this, why are there photorealistic people here? Like, why didn't they just get real actors to be in this movie? It was such a weird choice. I mean, I guess that's because I'm used to like even anime has anime looking characters you know human beings have that stylization and they belong there but it was so weird to watch it again i'm like they it wasn't as photorealistic like even video games now or have better photorealistic human beings in them and it just seemed odd watching it and i you know i was looking at it going nah it just didn't work i don't know why it just doesn't work all right next up uh we've got uh joel who writes Hey, John, I love the show and appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much, Joel. I appreciate that. I was wondering if you heard about the news of Michael B. Jordan working on his own Superman project. Well, yeah, obviously we talked about that um, a little bit ago. We talked about that on today's show. Again, I listen, it's Michael B. Jordan. I love him. It's a Superman property, so yay. I'm just, like I said, I'm just a little bit concerned about how many Supermen we're going to have running around <laughs> on movies and on TV all at the same time. I feel like they're oversaturating it a bit and overdoing it, so I'm a little bit concerned about that, but we'll see how it goes. All right, and by the way, just go back and check out that segment that we did a little bit earlier on today's show to get a more full discussion on that. Thanks for that, Joel. Next up. Suthius writes, all right, Mr. C, apologies. Let's try this again. How do you think Sam Wilson? Oh, I remember. So in the companion video, Suthius sent in a question saying, well, how do you think Sam controls wings? I'm like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Sam Wilson, Falcon. Okay. 
Let's try this again. How do you think Sam Wilson moves his wings? Are they somewhat of an AI and self-operated? Are they controlled by his arm gauntlets? Or are they perhaps neurologically linked with him via an implant? Well, we know they're not surgically they're, sur they're not surgical implants because they were able to break into a military facility in Winter Soldier and just steal a pair of them for him to just use, right? So it's not that. I don't know. It probably has to do <laughs> something like a Segway. You know, a Segway can kind of sense, or a one wheel. Um, I love riding one wheels, by the way. Uh, anyway, <laughs> a one wheel, it can kind of sense, like when you, it can sense what your motion is and then it reacts accordingly. It can sense when you're leaning forward a little bit more, so it knows to accelerate. It, it can sense when you're leaning back a little more, so it knows to decelerate. I'm thinking it's some kind of fictional thing like that. At least that's my best guess of it. That's my best guess. Remember, it is science fiction fantasy, but still, that's my guess on how they would say it operates. All right, Willow writes, If District 9 didn't exist... Would that improve your opinion of Elysium? No, because Elysium was just a bad film. Uh, and your is your main issue uh, with the movie the fact that its story is a carbon copy of District 9? No. Or were there other problems as well? It just wasn't a well-made movie, in my opinion. I, I didn't get into the characters. I didn't get into the narrative they were telling. There was a lot of... It just, to me, was a bad movie. And now listen, it's not great when your movie is a carbon copy of the other thing, but you can still appreciate it. Like, I hate that the first Fast and the Furious is nothing but a direct plot point by plot point, scene by scene ripoff of Point Break. That annoys me, yes. But you could still like it, I think, if it was good. And to me, I, I'm not a big fan of the first Fast and Furious. I know a lot of people are, and that's awesome, just not for me. But look at Avatar. I think Avatar's a great movie. But it's also a complete ripoff of Dances with Wolves. And it's also a complete ripoff of Pocahontas. I mean, even James Cameron himself, Rob, once called Avatar Dances with Wolves in Space. Even James Cameron said that. But you can still judge it on its own merits, and I still think it's a really good movie. Rob, how much does it bother you when you see a movie that, you know, does it completely take you out of it, or are you still able to see past it when you're watching a movie that has a lot of similarities to another one? How do you react to that? Well, it, it, to me, it always comes down to, well, is the movie good? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of, there's a lot of similar movies, cop thrillers or lawyer dramas or something. Like, I like those kinds of things. And I'll watch a bunch of different movies. Like, I, I love movies about lawyers in trouble. I don't know why. But it really depends. I'll watch something that's very similar as long as it's well executed. And I think if the story's great and the characters are great and the actors do a good job and it's really well directed, I'll watch it even if it's really similar to something like avatar is a good example that after the fact, you might notice the story similarities, but it's so, it's so entrancing to watch that I, I found myself, I really loved avatar and I took my mom to see it. She'd never seen an IMAX 3d movie before and she was blown away. And um, it's because Cameron just knows what he's doing and it's a joy to watch. So I, it doesn't bother me when something's similar to another story as long as it's well executed. All right. Well said. Next up, Diego writes, so a bit of a fun fact, starting with what if we will have a new MCU show and or movie releasing weekly all the way through the first couple of weeks of 2022. That is not actually completely accurate. Anyway, uh, also, we have uh, Dune, Dexter, Book of Boba Fett, Venom, and others. Lots to talk about. Hey, listen, there is a... We were talking about this the other day. The remainder of 2022, there is a lot of goodness on the shelves. Yep. Like, a lot of potential goodness. 
Like, because you didn't even mention, you know, uh, the new Bond. You didn't even, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff coming for the rest of the year. And I'm very, very excited for Diego. So, yeah, fingers crossed. All right, next up. Anonymous Viewer writes, John, Free Guy is still a video game movie. It absolutely is not. Uh, But it's not a video game adaptation movie. No, 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 no. It's not a video game movie. It is a movie about a video game, but it's not a video game movie. But anyway, uh, there's a difference between the two. P.S. Kobe Sandhagen or Corey Sandhagen won that fight. If you judge that fight with the new rules, but if you judge it on the old rules, TJ did just saying, I I will just say this quickly about the fight. I thought Sandhagen won the fight as well, but it was also close enough that I had in my head already knew I have no problems with whichever way the judges score this because it was close. I personally would have scored it for Sandhagen. I think it was a split decision, but whatever. Here's the thing. Calling Free Guy, and I put this up on Twitter earlier today, calling Free Guy a video game movie is like calling John Carter a biopic. It's not a biopic. But John, it's a movie about a guy and telling his story. Yes. Well, then it's a biopic. No, it's not. Because a biopic is about a real-life person. Otherwise, it's just a completely original work of fiction. Rob, when you go back and you look at the history, when we talk about the video game movie Curse, I talked about this on the on the companion video yesterday. Video game movies are very specific. They are pre-existing video game properties that so somebody has to do the almost impossible task of taking that pre-existing IP adapting it and transforming it and then translating it into an on-screen experience, trying to bring over the things that people loved about those video games onto the screen while also telling a coherent narrative story on screen. That's a video game movie. And that's the thing that has struggled for so long to be good. Like, other than maybe Sonic and maybe the first Tomb Raider, they've been all been awful. Like, even one of my favorites, Mortal Kombat, which I love. It's a terrible movie, Rob. It's a terrible movie, but I love it. I absolutely love and adore it. By the way, Peter Pacheco sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Peter. So, yes, you can have a movie like Wreck-It Ralph that is a completely original IP, and it's a movie, and it takes place around video games, but that's a movie about a fictional video game. It's not a video game movie any more than calling Shrek a biopic or calling John Carter a biopic. No, Walk the Line is a biopic. Um, uh, What's the one I'm looking for? Um, Why am I freezing on her? Aaron Brockovich is a biopic. You know, just because you have a movie with the name of the character in it doesn't mean that that's a biopic. And Free Guy, uh, Wreck-It Ralph, is not a biopic movie, just like Hancock and The Incredibles are not comic book movies. They're movies about superheroes, yes, but they're not comic book movies. Anyway, I just think you belittle, when you try to call movies like Free Guy or Wreck-It Ralph video game movies, what you are actually doing is belittling the actual video game movies and this monumentally difficult thing to take one of these pre-existing IPs, take things that people have pre-existing expectations for, because nobody has any pre-expectations for for Free Guy when it comes to it, because there's not actually a video game called Pre Guy. You get a video game like Assassin's Creed, where you have millions of fans, and people have expectations, and you've got to adapt that and try to bring that to a screen and tell a story and blah, blah. It's a completely different process. It's a completely different filmmaking experience 
than say, I'm just going to make up a completely original story that has no pre-existing IP, that's not being adapted from anything else, and I'm just going to make up a new original movie. It's a totally, to Rob, to me, it is an absolutely, totally different thing. Um, so it's a semantic thing, yes, but I also believe it's important to make a distinction. Wreck-It Ralph and Free Guy are movies about video games, sure, but they're not video game movies any more than Shrek is a biopic. I don't know, Rob. What, what's, there's lots of different points of view on this, Rob. What's your point of view on it? Well, I think you make a good point. I mean, like, like Free Guy is not the, – the thing about a video game movie is it's trying to recreate the story that's yes, being told well in said. the video game. Well said. You know, and 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 whereas Free Guy is not doing that at all. Free Guy is 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 posing the question: What if somebody in a video game was was a, like a real person? Like the people in video games are real people, and 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 what if a person found out that they were inside a video game? I mean that that isn't a video game that that isn't a video game movie. It's a really interesting premise, though. You know, so I I just look at it as a as a fantasy film an action fantasy. And I, I love that idea. I mean, the whole idea that a grand theft auto or whatever, the, all the non-player characters that you encounter, I'm like, what if all of those people were like Ryan Reynolds? What if they're actually aware that they're in a video game? I mean, I think that, that that's, that's not what this, that's, that doesn't make it a video game movie. It's, you know, it's the, the video game is the setting, but it's not, it's not, it's not trying to recreate another a, a video game itself. It's not trying to duplicate the plot of a video game, right? It's totally different, and I, and but I can understand it's more of a semantics issue, but but it isn't a video game adaptation. Um, and, and you know, but again, I think it's the same thing with movies like like War Games. War Games is not a video game movie. Sure, there's no. a video game involved, yes, but it's not a video game. Ready Player One is not a video game movie. It it revolves around a fictitious video game, but it's it's not. Again, I just think you belittle the actual real process of what it is and what the struggle is when we talk about the failure of video game movies and the curse of video game movies it's about that and rob how did you say it again it's about i said it's translating or transferring you said i can't remember how you put it but it, i said yes 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 that's the perfect way to put it now yeah I well i was saying that's the a video game movie is an adaption of an actual video game yeah so you it, know the, and, and i'll have things. to tell you i you know uncharted to me the the first uncharted when i played that that was the very first time i ever sat down and played a video game from start to finish and i was completely enamored of it and i'm like i i i don't think i've been as excited about a video game adaptation as i am about the uncharted movie because i love the uncharted game so i'm i have high hopes for it so i hope it's good all right next up we got Diego who writes, in your latest companion video, you ended on the topic of video game translations to film and how most adaptations fail. This made me curious about your expectations for The Last of Us. Personally, since HBO is handling it, you just nailed it, Diego. Since HBO is handling it, I'm quite excited. Thoughts? Dude, you just nailed it. Like, yes, Last of Us is probably the best narrative storytelling that's there's ever been in video game history, both Last of Us 1 and 2. But... That practice of the translation, that whole thing about transferring and adapting from a game into a on-screen piece of entertainment has been dreadfully hard for people to nail. For me, it's all about who's doing it. And who's doing this? The absolute gold standard in making excellence in television entertainment, HBO. To me, they're still the kings. Better than Netflix, better than Disney+, Plus, better than Amazon. 
HBO is still the king when it comes to creating great television entertainment. And because they're behind this Last of Us thing, I have a lot of hope for it, dude. I have a lot of hope for it. I'm also super looking forward to Uncharted. Uh, I, I think Sony's been crushing it the last little bit, so I'm looking forward to that. But for me, yeah, it's all because of HBO, man. It's all because of HBO. All right, we got time for one more with Rob here. We're going to go over to Mischievous Gremlin who writes, one of two. Hey, John, I hope your weekend went well. I had a great weekend. Thank you very much. Now, you may or may not care about this, but I have a guilty pleasure I have to admit. I like to watch anything doing with child's play. So I watched the trailer to the new USA slash sci-fi series, and even though it could be bad, but I still watch, but I still want to watch it. Have you seen the Chucky trailer? And do you find it weird that out of all the 80s slashers that we have, that a Chucky is the one getting a TV series? What are your thoughts? Yeah, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you, I ain't gonna lie. I don't care about the Child's Play franchise. I really don't. After the first one, I thought they all sucked. Oh, come yeah. on. Even Bride of Chucky? Even Bride of Chucky. I, I, I thought Bride of Chucky was terrible. But, I mean, a lot of people like it, and I'm not trying to yuck on anybody else's yum. If you like the, the Chucky films, particularly Bride, great. I did get a little bit of a kick out of the newest one where Mark, Mark Hamill was doing the voice of Chucky. It's a totally different adaptation, like with technology and things like that. But I actually had a little bit of a kick out of that one. But I have less than zero interest personally on this Chucky TV series. I have no desire to watch it. Um, I'm not surprised that it's getting a little television show other than the other ones because it's based on a doll. and It's got a little bit of a cult thing. I, I just don't see you doing a television series based on Freddy or Jason or Michael. I don't see that. With, with the, the doll thing, I guess you could do it. But... I have not watched the trailer, and I'd be lying to you guys if I said I had any interest in this thing at all. Rob, do you have a lot of interest for this Child's Play show? Have you seen the trailer for it? What do you think? I, yeah, I watched the trailer. I, you know, like you, I'm not a, a big fan. I think it's a one-note joke, you know, so Chucky's alive and kills people. And uh, it, it, beyond that, I don't see how they're going to make a series out of it uh, uh, that it would sustain itself. And I'm not, I'm not particularly interested in it. If I read that it's if it's a good show, I would watch it, but I'm like, who cares? Like, why doesn't somebody just burn up Chucky? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, just burn him up. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> All right, guys, listen, and uh, that's what we're going to call a halt to it today on today's episode of the John Camp Show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campion show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. I also want to thank Rob. By the way, Rob, you know what I'm doing later today? I'm, uh, I'm going to watch doing? Jungle Cruise today. I'm going to watch uh, Jungle Cruise today. Nice. So I'm a little bit nervous about it, of course, because, you know, they dumped it on uh, Disney Plus for day and date. But my buddy Dennis, our buddy Dennis, saw it the other day, and he said he liked it. So I'm going to watch it tonight. Uh, I'm going to see how I feel about it. I'll give you guys my thoughts on it a little bit later today. But, you know, I'm a big fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Who doesn't love Emily Blunt? So, and I, I thought the D23 presentation was pretty good. I haven't been a big fan of the trailers, but the D23 presentation was pretty solid. So we'll see how it goes. I'll watch that a little bit later. But, Rob, in the meantime, where can people follow you and all of your adventures online? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or even on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. 
And of course, guys, you can just follow me on all the social media. Simply, you can see it right there uh, down in my name bar there, at John Campia. Find me there on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for us, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.